today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Scott Clark, on the history of the Crusades and how they relate to modern times. I do think, you know, the, the, the whole history of the Crusades is a warning to us to be very careful about this whole business of talking about taking things back, even though we're speaking metaphorically. Um, the root of that whole imagery really is in the Crusades. Welcome to today's program and a discussion with Scott Clark. In recent years, the Crusades have been a topic of considerable research. Oxford University professor Christopher Tyerman's 1,000-plus-page book, God's War, has just been published. With the frequent reference to the Crusades, particularly in light of the tensions between Islam and the West, we thought it would be a helpful subject to discuss. Our guest is Dr. Scott Clark, historical theology professor at Westminster Seminary, California. Dr. Clark, what were the Crusades? The Crusades were a series of expeditions from Western Europe to the Mediterranean. The boundaries are hard to set because uh, there were sort of many Crusades uh, long after the, the main Crusades were over, but essentially we can think about a period of time from 1095, so at the end of the 11th century, to 1291, or the end of the 13th century. So for about 200 years. Now, as I say, there were several expeditions after 1291, but the, the, these, that period, that 200-year period, uh, uh, it really encompasses the main Crusades. Uh, the word crusade is actually a fairly modern term. Uh, there's some debate about, about its origins, uh, but it's related to the Latin word for cross, crux, and uh, probably derives from uh, crucignati, uh, that is to take the sign of the cross. And you, if you've seen you know, movies, films about the Middle Ages, uh, you've seen uh, perhaps you know, soldiers uh, riding horses with banners in front of them, and of course uh, on the banner will be uh, typically a white banner with a red cross or something like that. These crusaders who are uh, uh, going from Europe uh, to uh, Palestine to take back uh, particularly Jerusalem, but other places as well, uh, as they saw it, uh, were marching under the cross. So the crusaders had a, had a religious purpose. Who were they? Yeah, er everyone before the Reformation in the West was, uh, with a few exceptions, small exceptions really, uh, were, was Roman. So um, we were all Roman Catholics, uh, in a sense. Um, uh, that's, what, you know, uh, that's how Western uh, Christianity was organized. So, yes, these were, these were Christians, uh, people who thought of themselves as followers of Christ, who thought of themselves as believers in Christ, uh, they believe the Bible. Uh, they believe the faith as summarized in the Apostles' Creed. Um, uh, although they were not all um, universally well informed about what the faith actually teaches and holds, and, and of course we would say now, from the point of view of the Reformation, looking backward, that they held some ideas that that uh, or with which we would disagree rather strongly, uh, including the whole business of the Crusade. Um, uh, but yes, these, these are folks who um, uh, who think of themselves as Christians and who who think of uh, Palestine and Jerusalem as the Holy Land, and uh, uh, they think of themselves as serving God. Now, th this is somewhat controversial because it's been widely held in the modern period that, in fact, the Crusades were not a, a religious, an act of religious devotion. 
but rather the Crusades were really and only an act of um, uh, sort of economic self-interest, um, land grabbing, and so forth. And, and to be sure, um, there was some of that, but um, contemporary scholarship is suggesting that, in fact, uh, these fellows, um, who many of whom were nobles, uh, who actually led the Crusades, um, really were quite devoted, religiously devoted. I have not read the, the new book by Christopher uh, Tyerman, uh, God's War, so I'm, I'm not commenting on it, but other contemporary scholars uh, who've been writing on the Crusades, and, and there's a great deal being written on the Crusades, of course, because of the war and, and, and uh, the conflict with the, the Islamic jihadists um, who invoke the, the category Crusade whenever the West does anything militarily or economically or socially, um, we are designated crusaders. And, of course, sometimes we have made rhetorical mistakes, we, I say, the, the West, uh, in fighting Islam. Uh, early on in the, in the war against terror, the president did use the word crusade, uh, which, of course, you know, fit the, the, the template that a, a lot of Islamic jihadists have. They, they see us as crusaders, um, and that, so that, that term gets used a lot to describe Westerners generally. The assumption is, if you're a Westerner, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a crusader. If you're, if you're over here, you must be on some sort of crusade and, and so forth. Um, so it, it's tied up with a lot of contemporary issues, and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a topic, obviously, of a lot of interest. Well, uh, Dr. Clark, uh, going back, I guess, to 10, 1095, the, um, the inception of the Crusades, who actually initiated them? If I can have a minute, I'll explain as best I can, because it, it, it's kind of a long story. I'll try to tell it as quickly as I can. Uh, it usually takes me about an hour to explain most of this uh, during the medieval Reformation course. Yeah. Um, Augustine, you, you remember, had articulated a theory of the just war. Uh, but, but prior to that, um, for, the, for the most part, uh, Christians hadn't really thought much about in a war, and particularly not war as Christians. Now, they thought of it as a civil thing, but not really as a religious thing. But after the collapse of the Roman Empire and, and the spread of Islam in the 7th century, and I'm, may I add the violent spread of Islam and the rapid spread of Islam, so in the 7th century, in the, in the 600s, and, and then later in the 700s and 800s, uh, the, the medieval church was facing a situation that's not altogether unlike ours, and that is, they felt a lot of pressure from Islam, and they felt threatened uh, militarily, culturally, uh, by Islam, and so they, they responded. Now, Islam had then, and, and some obviously now, have a concept of jihad, or holy war, and those who uh, died in a jihad were said to be martyrs. And so you have uh, Muslim expansionism uh, working hand-in-hand with jihad, um, which becomes essential in the worldview of a fair number of Muslims in the 6th and 7th centuries. And by the 8th century, uh, Muslim forces were, were threatening Christian Europe, and they were finally stopped and driven back uh, as far as Spain by Charles Martel in, uh, in 732. Um, and it's in, uh, partly in response, then, to the Islamic... Uh, move westward um, that Christians began to develop the idea of of holy war, um, and so that idea took root. The, the other aspect of of uh, the crusade, or the, the other idea that helped give rise to the idea of a crusade, 
was the idea of the pilgrimage. Um, you may know, and uh, the listener may know, that uh, virtually every church and cathedral in the West uh, during the medieval period claimed to have relics of the Savior. They had relics of the uh, Blessed Virgin, relics of the Apostles, relics of, of uh, for example, the, the bones of St. James were allegedly discovered in Spain. And so uh, there, there developed a cult of St. James, and people began to make pilgrimages to Spain to... Uh, you know, uh, to see and, and uh, benefit uh, from being in proximity to, to these relics. Um, and at the same time, people also began taking pilgrimages to um, what they call the Holy Lands as an act of penance, that is, as a way of propitiating the wrath of God as part of, you know, uh, of um, their sanctification and, and ultimately, in their view, their, their justification. Um, Part of medieval uh, piety was beginning to focus more and more around reenacting the stations of the cross, uh, the various places where Jesus was, you know, arrested, beaten, and, and so forth. These these began to be numbered as stations of the cross, and so people began to reenact the life of, of Christ by going to the uh, to Jerusalem and, and doing these things. So, particularly in Spain, uh, talk began to grow of a reconquista and. Of course, that's a political um, uh, phrase that's, uh, that's in play in the West again, too, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so not only uh, they, are they wanting to reconquer lands that had been lost to uh, Muslims, uh, but also the Holy Lands. Uh, so by the 11th century, some Muslim groups had conquered a considerable amount of real estate, including Armenia, Syria, and Palestine, um, Early on, Arabs were tolerating Christians, but, but this new group uh, of Seljuk um, uh, Turks, they were Muslims but not Arabs, uh, were, were now attacking Christian churches in Jerusalem, uh, murdering clergy and, and capturing pilgrims. Um, and this was problematic for a variety of reasons. Obviously, it's problematic if you're a pilgrim yeah. <laughs> and you get captured and, and uh, jailed, beaten, or, or murdered. Um, but also there was a lot of money to be made from Christian pilgrims going to Jerusalem, and so um, there, were actually, there was actually division among Muslims as to whether this was a good idea to, to, uh, to capture these folks. Um, uh, but as these things were happening, you know, stories began to circulate in the West as to the terrible things that the, uh, that the Muslims were doing, and typically they were simply denominated the Turk. So in, in ancient Christian literature from the medieval and even into the Reformation period, when you read writers talking about the Turk, they're really talking not just about people who live in what we think of as Turkey, but they're talking about Muslims uh, or sometimes denominated uh, Mohammedans. Uh, in 1071, the, uh, the Byzantine emperor, the, the Roman Empire, had long uh, since been sep divided into two parts, the Eastern Empire and the Western Empire. Eastern Empire is the Byzantine Empire, and the Byzantine Emperor uh, Romanus IV uh, led forces against uh, Muslims in Asia Minor, uh, think of, of modern-day Turkey, uh, and, and lost. Uh, the Turks uh, won, they defeated the Byzantine army, and they captured the emperor. Um, and, uh, and so tensions began to grow between uh, the Christian East and, and, and West, between the, the Christians and in the East and the West, and, and the Muslims. Um, and they began to, the East began to uh, make overtures to the West 
about making strategic alliances for the sake of defending uh, the Eastern Empire against the Muslims. Um, and uh, Pope Gregory VII uh, thought this was a good idea to, to make this kind of an alliance, uh, not only to protect the East, but to uh, perhaps uh, give the West uh, renewed influence and possibly control uh, over the East. So there, there are a lot of things going on simultaneously. Uh, uh, competition between the Christian East and Christian West as to who was going to uh, to be sovereign. Is, is it going to be the patriarch of, of, uh, of the Byzantine Church, or is it going to be the Pope in Rome? Uh, so you've got that going back and forth, and then also the tensions between the Christians and the Muslims. It was widely held that uh, that uh, the you know, Jerusalem was a holy land, and, and, uh, and in the West, you know, it became increasingly thought of as, as you know, a, a holy land and, and something that was properly, uh, something that properly belonged uh, to to, uh, to Christendom, and uh, so you know, it was offensive for Islam to be in control of the Holy Land, um, and so by 1095, uh, because of some of the tensions and, and conflict between the Christian East and West, uh, the Pope's position was strengthened considerably and uh, now by now the pope is urban the second and and when the uh, uh, emperor of the east asked for help urban the second said sure uh, the, we sort of had a break from tension with islam uh, from the middle of the 16th century to about the middle of the 19th or, or say early 20th century uh, and then through, from the middle of the 20th century that conflict sort of uh, picked up again so we had a you know three or four hundred year uh, hiatus from the conflict, but uh, we have, we being the West, have been in conflict with Islam for a very long time, and so it was, in a sense, this is more typical what we're experiencing now um, than the period that we experienced b- between the middle of the 16th century and the middle of the 20th century. And you're saying that uh, the Crusades were undertaken primarily for religious reasons? Let me be clear. That's not to say that I approve of that or I think that was a good idea or that they had a good theology, or they were relating Christ and culture uh, properly, because I, I don't think any of that. But I do think it's not helpful to sort of put a Marxist spin on the whole story and say, well, they were only about money. Uh, no, I, I don't think that's the case. In fact, uh, about 150,000 Europeans went on the Crusades, and uh, most of them were poor. Uh, many of them were female uh, or elderly, or all three um, in the first crusade, about 40,000 men went, and that was actually the, the most successful of, of all of the crusades. Uh, a minority of those were knights, and in fact, few of them uh, 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 actually stayed, ended up staying in Palestine. Um, and uh, and the, the agreement was that if they recaptured the land, it was supposed to go to the Byzantine emperor. So the facts don't really support the sort of Marxist analysis of, of, uh, of the main... Uh, crusades, uh, and that's because the Marxists who who uh, interpret the Crusades just ignore the, this you know theological, spiritual, religious aspects. Uh, they they just uh, do- ignore the fact that these people went as a penance, as a way of paying for their sins, uh, and also they neglect the fact that uh, the Crusaders uh, were granted a, a plenary indulgence. That is to say, you know, if you uh, the, the Church said if you go on this Crusades. We'll wipe out all your penances. That's what an indul- That's what a plenary indulgence is. You, you don't have to do any more uh, penance. Uh, it's paid for, uh, and penance, of course, was a way theoretically of, 
of lessening your time in purgatory. So, so if you believe in purgatory and all that, it's a pretty powerful motivation uh, for going on the on the crusade. By the way, I'm speaking with Dr. Scott Clark, Associate Professor of Historical and Systematic Theology at Westminster Theological Seminary in Escondido. We're talking about the Crusades. Well, Dr. Clark, I'm wondering at this point, you, it's kind of a, a sort of a contradictory picture, of course, here, people going with religious motivations. Um, of course, only the Lord knows who, who really was a believer, who wasn't, but of course there was a, a lot of violence inflicted. Uh, the, the phrase, convert or die, you you think of associated with the Crusades. Are the Crusades, as many would like to paint them, uh, uh, really a black mark on the eye of the Christian Church? Well, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, in a sense, yes. I mean, obviously, uh, looking back now, you know, we are Americans, you know, we have a, a separated church and state, um, and uh, uh, obviously there's a lot of disagreement about exactly how all that should work, but, but we don't have a state church, and... and, and um, and so, you know, we, it's hard for us to imagine, you know, the state uh, cooperating with the church in this way to conduct a, a holy war. Um, uh, and I would say, for, you know, as a pastor and theologian, that it was a mistake, because I, I, I'm comfortable in saying that a lot of the way we thought of the relationship between church and state and Christ and culture was mistaken, um, until the Reformation, and, and even after the Reformation. Uh, as I read Scripture, I don't see any evidence that the Apostle Paul, or, or Peter, or John, or James, or any of the Apostles, or our Lord himself, intended to establish any kind of earthly empire. And, and so um, the fact that we became entangled with an earthly empire, uh, I think, is highly problematic. I mean, obviously, it happened in the providence of God, and you know, had we not become so entangled, we, you know, perhaps we wouldn't have engaged necessarily in the Crusades. They are something we have to, you know, live down to some degree, um, uh, because we did, in fact, you know, attempt to take back a land under the name of Christ. Uh, it's a, it's somewhat problematic to say to someone, "Listen, we want you to trust in the suffering Savior." Uh, meanwhile, you know, you've got a sword dangling at your side. Yeah, sends <laughs> confusing messages. Um, our, our Savior, of course, didn't prosecute his kingdom uh, at the point of a sword. He prosecuted it by the proclamation of the gospel, the announcement of the coming of the kingdom. You know, he, he told Pilate, listen, if I wanted, I could call down legions of angels, uh, but I'm, uh, I don't want, so I'm not doing it. And, uh, and, he, and he suffered uh, death for our sake and, and resurrection for us. I do think, you know, the, this, the whole history of the Crusades is a warning to us to be very careful about this whole business of talking about taking things back, even though we're speaking metaphorically. Um, the root of that whole imagery really is in the Crusades. It's problematic for a variety of reasons. And for one thing, what does it mean to take back when Christ is sovereign over all things right now? We don't, certainly don't want to imply that he's not sovereign. Yeah. And I think it's helpful if we recognize that he exercises his sovereignty in distinct ways in the civil sphere, and in, and in the visible institutional church. And, so, uh, and certainly we would say, looking back now, that the medieval church didn't have that uh, distinction clearly in mind, to be sure. To what extent does an understanding of the Crusades, if in fact it helps us, uh, understand present-day tensions between the West and Muslim countries? Is there something that we can learn there? Is there some... Among everyone who lives in the Middle East, uh, the Crusades are... are they, they, they are as vivid to most Middle Easterners, whether they are Arab or Jewish, 
because the Jews suffered a great deal under the Crusades as well, um, uh, or even Christian. Uh, everyone in the Middle East, for everyone in the Middle East, Crusades are a living reality. You know, for us, uh, particularly Americans who probably don't know much about the Crusades, you know, it seems like a long ago and far away thing. But but if you live in the Middle East, and particularly if you're an Arab, even if you're not Muslim, the Crusades. Uh, are talked about as if they happened last week. And you people are going to, you know, uh, not only uh, do you want to do it again, in fact, they look at everything we do in the West as uh, some kind of a crusade. And so it's very, very important that we make clear about, you know, we, when I say when I say we, I mean folks in the West, make clear that what we're doing is not religious. Now, we're reacting, I think, properly to a violent religious jihadists, but but our issue with them isn't fundamentally religious. It's political, it's military, um, uh, uh, it's civil, uh, but it isn't religious. Uh, we're not trying to conquer anyone, convert anyone to the point of a sword. So I think our government officials would do well to be very careful how they speak about this, and Christians would do very well also uh, to be careful how they speak about uh, about the Crusades, about our interests in the Middle East. Um, and so we ought to be careful... Uh, what we're doing and, and why and how, and make clear that you know when we when we go and when and when we deal with folks from those cultures um, or from any other culture, really, we need to say, listen, our interest is in making known to you uh, the suffering Savior, and um, we're not here to take land, we're not here to take wealth, and we're not here to 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 uh, to force anyone. That's how Christians. Ought to ought to speak and and think and and relate uh, to particularly folks from the Arab world and the and the Middle East generally. I think you've been listening to His People on the Pilgrim Radio Network. Many thanks to today's guest, Dr. Scott Clark, professor of historical and systematic theology at Westminster Seminary, California. On tomorrow's program, Bob Roberts on increasing the ability of local congregations to bring the gospel to others. Here's my contention. When the world is one for Christ, it's not going to be because we have more preachers and missionaries like me. It's going to be because the whole body of Christ gets up on our feet. That's tomorrow on His People. Reader's Choice is next. <laughs>